Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, messages and previews, September 2022. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we will soon be resuming our task of reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Elswith to uh, Prince Philip. And we're moving into very exciting uh, territory with the six wives of Henry VIII. So our next episode will be on Catherine of Aragon. Uh, I think most likely the first of two parts uh, for Catherine. Uh, so oh, yeah. Biography and a review. Uh, but hopefully that will be out uh, two weeks after this. Brilliant. So we're currently on schedule. Yeah. Well, per- as it, yeah, perfect. Uh, before that, as is now our habit, we're putting out this episode to go through some of your fantastic messages. Uh, plus, we'll be sharing a few uh, previews of uh, some of our Privy Council bonus content. Oh. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us and uh, potentially have uh, one of your messages read out on one of these uh, in future, then you can email us, uh, rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are, at rexfactorpod, and like uh, the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. And if you would like to hear more of us and hear more of our bonus content in full, then go to patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor to sign up and join the Privy Council. Yeah, brilliant. It's a lovely place to be, the Privy Council. (laughs) Get involved. Messages. Uh, Some general messages first. Uh, Einstein Holly had an observation on listening to the very start of our episodes. Hey guys, for your first couple of seasons, I thought Graham was Grand Duke and Ali was Ali Good. Grand Duke. Grand Duke. Duke. I quite like that. Yeah. Grand Duke. Not so fond of Ali Good, but (laughs) Grand Duke's awesome. Well, because I think others have commented on not quite being sure what your name is based on that little sting at the start where you sat with your hosts. Um, I mean, those were recorded, you know, a good over 10 years ago on the old mic, so maybe we should redo it at some point and enunciate more clearly. Graham Duke and Ali Hood. 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 Uh, Roe Campbell has a fashion suggestion. Oh, Hi, guys. Hello. I recently discovered Rex Factor a few months ago, and I just wanted to tell you that I'm loving your podcast. I you listen look to- terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to Rex Factor episodes while I'm awake and even while I'm sleeping. It's been a particularly hard year for me after surviving COVID, but I'm grateful to be improving, and I'm thankful to have had your podcast to listen to through my recovery. You both make me laugh so much that my partner wonders what I'm listening to. I wondered if you can create a T-shirt for your show with the saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I hope you find that as funny as I do. I know you're both English, but I hope you get the reference. I don't, but (laughs) I I like it. (laughs) I, I felt like I didn't know what the reference was, but for whatever reason, I felt like you'd be more likely to know it. I sort of recognise the pattern of the words, but I don't understand why I know it. It's check yourself before you wreck yourself. check yourself before you wreck yourself. Ice cube. Mm. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I I mean, uh, I'm well up for um, Rex t-shirts. I'm trying to wear more shirts these days. Ah, Well, we'll have to see if there are shirts available. Mm. Though they're less commonly emblazoned with quotes. Mm. Yeah. I like um, the collar function on a shirt. <laughs> you can um, protect the neck. Yes. And you Good can in. turn it into a T-shirt. And if it's really hot, it's cooler than a T-shirt. 
and mm. do the front. Yeah. Well, that's some sartorial advice from Ali. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we do uh, we do at some point need to add our rather oh, yeah, uh, scanty yeah. merch uh, offerings. We all yeah. get onto it. And now, Ali, you like to hear about when people have been doing other things while listening that end up being sort of intrinsically linked with the podcast. So we've had do like I? people who do painting, and then it, that room becomes the oh yeah 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 that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, yeah. So you'll enjoy this one from Tom Hepworth. You accompanied me and my partner Kate through the whole year and various lockdowns on my little narrowboat. Oh, uh, I like that. Mm, journey along London's canals and the River Lee. I find it especially pleasing that my journey through the podcast is mirrored in my journey along the waterways that year, in that I now associate each period of history you discuss with the location I was moored in while listening. Mm. The Saxon monarchs abide in the Hackney Marshes. The Walthamstow wetlands are home to the Normans and Plantagenets. Victoria mm. likes to hang out somewhere near Tottenham, and the Scottish kings and queens can be found around Waltham Abbey and Chessant. Wicked. I can't remember who I was listening to in Royden, but Royden is worth a mention because it's lovely. <laughs> Probably Charles II, I guess. Mm. Uh, there's also a housing estate by the river in Homerton, featuring Athelstan House and Lindisfarne Way, and in the Mars and in. And in the marshes near Chessant, I stumbled on a Viking signpost marking a boundary between Wessex and the Danelaw. Oh, nice. Adventures on my narrowboat. <laughs> I like See the idea of that. New series coming to you from Rex Factor Productions. <laughs> We've got to buy a boat, Graham. <laughs> you knew I, it was only a matter of time. I, I mean, I was going to say. Well, I mean, I was going to say that feels like the kind of thing that Beckham knows one day you're going to come home and say I bought yeah. a boat. I mean, technically, you have already done that. Oh, I don't. <laughs> is that a good day? No, nor is, nor is it. Uh, Not as uh, good as I'd hoped. <laughs> um, great day, somewhat ruined towards the end. <laughs> that high five is still hanging. Uh, now, we often get suggestions on what series we should do next, and a couple of people have suggested we turn our focus to Ireland. Oh, yeah. Uh, first, Brian Flanagan. I know you've covered monarchs of England and Scotland and now you are on the consorts, but have you ever thought about doing Rex Factor from a purely Irish point of view? Ireland was and technically is one of the kingdoms that make up the UK. Some of the monarchs that are beloved in the UK are some of the most reviled characters in Irish history. I'm looking at you, Victoria. While others go largely unrecognised for their work relating to Ireland. George V. Let's not even get into Cromwell. As someone born and raised in Drogheda, you can imagine what I think. Or James II. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> the trouble is, uh, the names. We've been here before. Um, there's, it's tricky. And actually, it's going to be like, I imagine, Scotland turbocharged with the, mm. the um, not just the murderousness, um, that's a presumption, but the... Um, it's it's not recognisably similar to an English court. Do you know what I mean? How in in um, Scotland it was we had that brother thing, and it was yeah. more like it wasn't as established, and there there was it was more tribe <laughs> like tribes against each other at the start. Don't do things like we do, Graham. That's the trouble. It's too <laughs> really different. Uh, it would take me so long to get around it. Oh, you know, I mean, we we will I'll struggle pick. struggle with the names. I think we will have to get, uh, get a consultant to help us on the names. Yeah. <laughs> that would just be offensive every single week. I think it's not just one person; it will be every person that they speak to as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd stand more chance of the French. Hmm. 
Uh, likewise, though, Alec Mahoney. Uh, how about examining a bit of Irish history? Brian Baru. I mean, that's an accessible name for us, at least. Mm. Uh, the High Kings of Ireland, the Hill of Tara. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those that's an option. So, I mean, that's the thing. One of the Similar to Wales, the issue is it's never centralised nation under its own rule and kingdom. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's not tribal. More, more Norse. Yeah, well, it's just like separate kingdoms. It's as if yeah. the Saxon kingdoms in England never came together to be England. They'd always remained Wessex and Mercia and mm. uh, Northumbria, etc. Um, whereas Ireland does have, and sort of Wales kind of has this as well, but Ireland perhaps is a little bit more structured, this sense of a high king of Ireland, where oh, right. the extent to which they are really ruling the whole thing or just acknowledged as the most powerful one. But you, you do have a list that we could follow. Um, mm. There are a lot of mythical ones. I did look into it. A lot of mythical ones, but there are also sort of the more historical ones. And it is a more, I think it's a more manageable number. It's sort of like I don't know. It's almost like half of what you might have for like England or Scotland, whatever. So it's almost maybe it's not a bad idea at some point. Almost if mm. there were series where it's not as big as some of the other ones, that mm. rather than doing big series, big series, we go big series, less big series, big series, less mm. big series, and you can cover a bit more. Mm. But yeah, there's definitely an appeal in kind of finishing the. Um, well, I was going to say the British Isles, but you wouldn't describe Ireland with that now. The the Atlantic Archipelago is the uh, neutral geographical term that I remember from university. I don't know if that still applies. Um, don't we have to go back and do the Scottish Queens, though? Well, there's the Scottish Queens, and there is finding some way of doing the Welsh. Yeah. And, you know, if we're, if we're going to be specific about it, then obviously, you know, France, Henry V, etc., would say is part of England as well, so... Yeah, France is very much on the horizon, isn't it? Mm. Uh, now, people listen to episodes at different times. We're always happy to get correspondence about old podcasts, no matter how long ago we did them. So on that front, Rebecca Whitman has this to say on the Edmund the First episode. Uh, he was the fourth king that we reviewed. He's the one who's killed by the... stabbed by the notorious thief. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, so... Uh, Rebecca says, OK, I know I'm 12 years late here, but Graham, in this episode, you wonder why Edmund is so invested in helping restore Louis IV to his throne. That's Louis IV of France, or Francia, uh, as is at this point. Well, Louis IV was Edmund's nephew through Edgiva of Wessex, Edmund's sister and Louis's mother. And Louis actually lived in England from 93 to 936. If you ever do the French monarchs and consorts, you might have an episode about Edgivu because she was queen consort of West Francia. Huh. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so they're still going with these Louis way back then. Yeah. When and when you say still, one? you say they were. They started. They were to, going. Yes. Yeah. Well, when was Louis the first? Is he? Is he the sort of foundation myth of France as a French royalty? Uh, well, I mean, you've got Charlemagne as your sort of your biggie. They're oh, the ones yeah. before Charlemagne, uh, but he is the real biggie, biggie. I wonder why Louis gets it's such a. Pumper. Like yeah. name check. No, it is, it is it is odd why one name so dominates. Because obviously, you know, we've got eight Edwards and eight Henrys, but no, I mean, that's still you're nearly double, aren't you? Yeah, and they stopped much earlier than we did. <laughs> yeah, true. Got two hundred years on them. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, we did fill that with a massive Victorian Elizabeth. That's true. Doesn't leave much room for any um. <laughs> any else. We did squeeze some Georges and Edwards in though. Yeah, as fast as we could. <laughs> Uh, Michael uh, Langenmeyer has rather gone against the grain by making the case against Edward IV getting the Rex Factor. Which one's he? Uh, he's the hot Yorkist. 
oh, yeah. old older brother of Richard the Third. Proto um, normal Henry the Eighth. Mm. Uh, so Michael says, I've been doing a listen from the start and just finished Edward IV, and I'm surprised he managed to get the Rex Factor. His reign seems nearly identical to that of Henry IV, who was snubbed. Incredible feats of arms in their youth, overpowerful and unpopular ducal fathers, usurped the throne from weak kings who relied on favourites, initially pursued policies of reconciliation after snatching the crown, plagued by rebellion for a decade-ish after coming to the throne, perhaps because they pursued policies of reconciliation instead of just executing their enemies, kept their deposed predecessors alive for a time, then murdered them after rebellion, came to power with the support of powerful northern lords who later rebelled against them, came to power when the country was at war with France and losing, promised big campaigns against France and Scotland that never really materialised, tried to marry into the French royal family to secure peace and failed, unprecedented executions of major figures, generally stable, peaceful and unremarkable later reigns, deaths at fairly young ages. Only difference seems to be that Henry IV was a pious fellow where Edward IV was a playboy, and Henry successfully secured the succession whereas Edward saw his son denied the throne. I think I'd have given Henry the Rex Factor, or maybe denied it to Edward. God, that's a lot of parallels. What, um, what do so Ed, what's he saying? Edward, no, Henry the Fourth mm. didn't secure it for his son. No, he's saying that Henry did because he's followed by Henry the Fifth, whereas Edward the Fourth yeah. is followed by. Uh, oh yeah, of course, the prince of the, the tower. tower. Yeah. So he's saying that it's better in some ways. Mm. In that specific way. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point. There definitely is a parallel to be mm. made there. I feel like Edward kind of has a bit more glory about him than Henry the Fourth. It feels like it's always incredibly hard and miserable for Henry the Fourth, whereas mm. Edward is so good in battle. I think not, not that Henry the Fourth isn't, but I think Edward the Fourth even more so, like Towton and Tewkesbury and Barnet. Um, I such. don't imagine Edward being good in battle. Was he Edward the Fourth? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's under, well. So he. Defeat Jasper. No, no, sorry, Henry the Fourth. Yeah, well, he was like in his youth, he was this great knight. He used to, you know, he went off on tour on knights. I think he, I think he went on a did he go on a crusade like against Byzantine, against Byzantine, someone like Teutons, Teutonic knights or something or other. All right, he went off with. But no, yeah, he's a, he's this great soldier. He's one of those. He's amazing as Bolingbroke, and then it's all quite hard when he actually becomes king. Oh uh, yeah. Whereas yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. Edward does have a bit more glory days yeah, about him. Yeah, does. And pageantry, and he is even more spectacular in battle. Yeah. Because he has so many. Um, but no, it's a good point. Edward IV is certainly... He's, you know, some, people do, some people do think he he's overrated. Others think he gets completely neglected, uh, Edward. But yeah, not many people speak up for Henry IV, but he's similar-ish to Henry VII in that you know, he's, he does the hard work of gaining the throne. Really mm. usurping, and then it's the son Henry V, Henry VIII, who then sort of reaps the reward. Oh yeah! So it's it's him that is all heavy as the head and all that. Heavy as head. That yeah, you see, same challenges, and he accepts it like that. Whereas Edward the Fourth is playboy about it. He's more James Hunt. Mm. Yes. Less Nicky Lauder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Please, no, it's an inter- interesting point, though, Michael. Thank you. It's a good point. It's an interesting comparison. Um, and on the Henry VII uh, comparison, we've had... Um, uh, he's probably the one to get the most correspondence about after, obviously, Edgar the Peaceable. Uh, Henry VII. Henry, Henry the Seventh. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jenny Scollum, first of all, says, So far I've agreed with all your decisions regarding the Rex Factor, bar one. 
Listening again to Henry VII, I do feel his contribution as a monarch is downplayed and overlooked just because it's not as flashy as tons of wars and massive scandal. He stabilised a war-torn country that had been suffering for decades, set up a secure succession, the first king to do so in ages, and being financially savvy is nothing to sneeze at. One of the reasons you decided not to give it to him was because he was a, quote, glorified accountant. As an accountant myself, I felt the need to stand up and speak up for him. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, Dan Wordsworth uh, also says, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Uh, as all your emails seem to be about this, I reckon a split decision was right for Edgar. He wasn't proactive enough, except in the field of non-abduction, to get the Rex Factor. Thank you. However, Henry VII was robbed. Winning the Wars of the Roses, starting the Tudor dynasty and making the English state wealthy and stable is far more Rexy than anything the Pineapple Head or the Stamp Collector did. Yeah, but it's not about that, is it? It's that same <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, Philip II stroke Bloody Mary consort episode. He'd be a clear contender for Spanish Rex Factor. Match of the Ray? <laughs> Very strong, I like that. To which he says, Yes, this whole email was an excuse for that terrible Spanish king pun. Oh, it's a pun again, isn't it? Yeah. You love a good pun. Yeah. Uh, for the Scots, uh, Sarah has pointed out some negligence on my part regarding uh, Alexander III and that Don't episode. Just finished the Scottish finals, and hearing the recap of all the Scottish stupid deaths, I have to say I'm devastated that Ali and Graham, though, let's, let's be. Let's be honest, that's Graham. Never once mentioned that the castle that Alexander III, the booty call one, broke his neck en route to was called Kinghorn. That is brilliant. That Yeah, quite right. Um, uh, I accept that. Hands up. We should definitely have covered that off. That's perfect. Yeah, I missed that. I think I was trying because I mean Alexander the Third was our first and only sex with nuns Scottish episode. Yeah, there's a lot going on. As he said, he he dies. Yeah, on Ritz a... call, and I yeah I just missed that detail. Kinghorn. Kinghorn. I mean you're normally all over it, Graham. So don't worry. But um, you know we should um, <laughs> hold our hands up. Mm. Uh, Joe Greer had some uh, porcine correspondence. In this episode, you'll talk about how James I and his aversion to pigs and, how, uh, and about how the Scots seem to be generally afraid of them around the time. As someone who's grown up in Texas, there are few animals more terrifying to us than feral hogs. They will easily kill a man. So they have few qualms about taking out kids, pets or farm animals. The only ways they are hunted is either with a big cage trap or shot from a helicopter. That are now... <laughs> That is such a Texan response. <laughs> From a helicopter? Yeah. I mean, that's an unnecessary detail, isn't it? I mean, I guess it's too dangerous to be in a, in a car on the ground because, you know, if it breaks down or something like that, the pig's... pig's sitting duck for the pig. Sitting just, duck? He will just eat straight through the uh, car Straight door, through the car. Yeah. And the assault rifle. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I do remember in New Zealand once... Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, uh, watching what I thought was a wonderful nature programme about these uh, um, invasive wallabies hmm. that are um, all over the island. Um, I think it was the South Island. Uh, these lovely pictures and then just focus back to the presenter who said, I'm using a five calibre bloody... <laughs> then he gets in a helicopter and the next five minutes is just scenes of wallaby... Poof, 
Wallaby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Um, crikey. I'll tell you what, though. I would be afraid of a... a I mean, they're like 20 stone. It can mm. push you over and bite your face off. Yeah. And they're omnivores, aren't they? They get through everything. Yeah. So Scots, Texans, and uh, potentially now Alley. Yeah. It's like chimps. Not a fan of chimps. Oh, they rip you apart. Yeah, they're, I think they're absolutely terrifying. They're, the enclosure at the zoo um, uh, is, is, is far more frightening than any sort of shark tunnel you might go through. <laughs> they're essentially just very a, a cage full of 20 very, very intelligent, very powerful, angry men who <laughs> are just looking to rip your face off. The yeah. shark's going on going... Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Not my cup of tea, mate. Mm. Uh, for the consorts, British Steel Sam thought we were a bit harsh when scoring Ethelfled. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I was a little bemused by Ethelfled's low subjectivity score. Uh, this is Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercy, by uh, Ali's score of a middling five seems very mean, and when Graham is talking about artwork and poetry, I think it's remembering that you were truly a Saxon subject at the time. You might be a little more concerned with not having a Viking axe embedded in your face than yeah. the creative arts. She was a warrior queen who won every heart, mind, and battle she came across, and had she not pushed into the north and raised Athelstan with a vision of doing the same, who's to say England would ever have included Northumbria at all? I would love to see a set of playing cards of the Saxon rulers with Alfred as the Ace of Spades, Athelstan as the Ace of Clubs, Edward as the Ace of Diamonds, and Ethelfled as the Ace of Hearts, sword held aloft, the true founders of England. I'm sure you can work Edgar the Robbed and Dunstan the Dreary in there somewhere too. I was going to say no mention of Edgar there, but there he is, pops up. Uh, in the episode for Anne of Bohemia, who was Richard II's first consort, we pondered what the origin of Bohemian was and whether it had anything to do with Anne. Uh, yep. Julian's got in touch to say the modern use of the word derives from the 19th century French slang for the Romani who were called Bohemienne so sadly nothing to do with Anne oh okay that's good to know yeah uh, Richard II's second consort Isabella of Valois was uh, just a child uh, when she married and indeed when Richard died so didn't get much of a look in uh, but Fiona Skeppers pointed out that Isabella does get some standing in posterity Mm. Uh, so Fiona says one thing you didn't mention Isabella got a small cameo in Shakespeare's Richard II one great scene with a drop the mic moment when she stormed off after hearing of her husband's defeat telling a gardener gardener for telling me these news of woe pray God the plants thou grafts may never grow it's not his fault is it (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) Shakespeare poor old gardener Uh, but yeah so very, very small reign, but she does get to be a Shakespeare uh, character. Mm. Forever besmirched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Susan Whittle, uh, Suzanne Whittle posed an interesting question to which I don't have an answer, but I thought I might put it out there for the, uh, the hive mind. And it's going to sound like I'm starting a joke. It is a genuine question. <laughs> what do you call a prince consort <laughs> that outlives their monarch? So the male version of a queen mother and also... Excellent question. Has there ever been one? Um, I, I I think she's asking you. Mm. Well, there hasn't been one in English uh, or Scottish history, mm. um, but I feel like it might have happened in Europe. Is maybe that'd be a kind of a question for um, our interview guest from a few mini series back, um, Dr. Ellie Woodacre, that we spoke to about uh, Joanne of Navarre, um, 
because Navarre has quite a few Queen regnants. Oh, yes. Uh, so quite possible, but I haven't looked into it, but I guess possible that somewhere like that might have experienced that. Where yeah. The, the Queen regnant dies, but the husband still lives. Yeah, that presents... You've got to hope that there's not any, like, stupid macho ego going on, because that could be quite mm. horrid. But, yes, well, if anybody knows, please let us know. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, maybe we'll get in touch with Ellie again and see if uh, she's got an answer to that. Incidentally, I can't remember if I mentioned this. Her book on Joanne of Noir is now out, so if anyone was interested in that, then... Uh, yeah, go get it. Go get Ready it. for Christmas. Uh, and now, Ali, it's your favourite part of the podcast. Limericks! Oh, excellent. Now, uh, I'm not doing one from Louise Brimacombe today, oh. just because I'm saving those for... We sort of do them within the mini-series. So, Catherine Rowgan the next mm. one uh but previously we wondered whether louise should be given any kind of official title to recognize her work oh yes Limerick's there were some good ones yeah and uh, doug costa's got another one so saying dear sirs i propose the following for services to historical podcasting and charming wit lyrical listener supplied content legend lady louise shall henceforth be known as the rex factor poet laureate from a grateful rex factor nation hmm. um Oh, there's very root one, isn't it? Poet laureate. I and I, I, I'm all behind it. But what? Wasn't there really f- someone sent? Limerick laureate is a yes alternative. I mean, yeah. the danger. I mean, what you don't want to do is create in Louise a sense of obligation to send you poetry because it's very Absolutely specifically not. the Limerick form that you Absolutely enjoy. Not. She should not feel any pressure to do that whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Limericks keep them coming like water. Uh, yeah, so maybe not poet, Limerick laureate, yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're not reading one from Louise today, but instead we have one from John Easter on Anne Neville, who is the consort to Richard III. Hmm. Try as hard as we can, we can't get a clear sense of Anne. It really is crazy how her life is so hazy wouldn't be so for a man. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Shout out! Uh, we'd like to give little uh, shout-outs to some other podcasts you might want to check out when you're not engaged in listening to Rex Factor. Uh, in our most recent mini-series, two of our three interview guests uh, present podcasts, so uh, those would be worth checking out. So uh, Matt Lewis, uh, along with Kat Jarman, presents uh, on the history hit the podcast Going Medieval, uh, oh, yeah. where they speak to experts about a whole range of subjects uh, in the medieval period. Uh, and also Nicola Tallis presents History Gems, where she unpicks the history of some of history's most... <laughs> the history yeah. of some of history's uh, most famous jewels uh, with different experts. Yeah, I quite like the idea of that. Hmm. No, yeah, that's a nice idea. So again, it's quite nice picking up something very specific that you wouldn't think about or know about or ever read about, but actually there probably is quite a lot to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like the idea that it's like a um, a gateway to a whole load of stories. Hmm. That there's you'll end up in India inevitably. And yes. political intrigue <laughs> and it'll take you everywhere, like tea. Hmm. And also like the um the British Museum podcast, History of the World and Hundred Objects and all that sort of ilk. There was something quite interesting in just focusing in on one specific thing, object mm. like that, rather than a person or a a reign or a period or a war or a battle or something. Just one object is quite an interesting way to get a new insight yeah. or something. Hmm. Anyway, so that's History Gems and uh, Going Medieval. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs. Uh, for our Privy Councillor Pub Quiz in August, we had a guest round brilliantly provided by uh, Veronica uh, relating to her podcast, 
Past podcast, which looks at the history of people who were almost king or queen. Oh, yeah. Uh, sort of in England and uh, England and France that she's doing. So uh, do check that one out. Uh, and a new Rexypod to check out is the Noblesse Oblige, which is rating all of the Nobel laureates from 1901, uh, well, just until they ran out of people they talk about, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, check those uh, check them Who's out as well. Who's that by? Uh, that's by some Rexypod to listeners. Oh, right, cool. It's names I haven't written down in my notes. <laughs> I can't say their names. Um... Yeah, I like the idea of that. That was the name of my Worms team. No, please, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but you could edit that. That was in the day. Yeah, all games you should be able to put in your own names. All yeah. Your, all your friends. Yeah. I'd constantly uh, smash Robert Cross's little Tottenham Hotspur worms <laughs> out of the park. Previews. We also wanted to share some previews of our bonus content with you. Um, all our monthly patrons get access to the Privy Chamber, which is an episode we do after each of our main podcast episodes reviewing a monarch or consort, where we go into more detail on the subject with extra information, uh, as well as some general chat about other stuff, both historical and not. So here's a clip from our Privy Chamber episode for Elizabeth of York. Coronation Banquet Game. Uh, now, I didn't go into uh, much detail about Elizabeth's uh, coronation. I think uh, they probably all just start to sound kind of the same after a while. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a very detailed list of everything that was eaten at the coronation banquet. So I thought rather than list it all, um, I'd make it into a little game. So oh, I'm, this. I'm going to read you uh, various dishes from the banquet in uh, ye olde English. And uh, Ali, you can see how accurately you can guess what they are. Okay. So we're going to do ten, five from the first course and five from the second. So here are your first five. What do you think these dishes are? <laughs> Banquet coronation game. Wish I'd said that the other way around. <laughs> Shields of brawn in armour. Uh, like lobster claws? It is flesh of boar decorated with Elizabeth's heraldic arms. Gosh. Frumity with venison. <laughs> it's weird for venison to be the side dish. <laughs> uh, like, some sort of little berries, rare berries. <laughs> well, that's obviously you're bringing your culinary knowledge of uh, what today's chefs might uh, be doing with some venison. But no, as you said, venison is the with uh, in this. It's wheat porridge with venison. Oh, Weetabix. With venison. Meaty <laughs> Weetabix. Oh, I got the wrong ones the other day. Well, ages ago. Banana. Ooh. Oh, it just... They... Honestly, tastes like delicious Weetabix that have been weed on. Mm. Have you ever tried Otabix? No, and I, I don't intend to. Yeah, likewise. Because you look at it and you think, well, I mean, I like Weetabix, so maybe I'd... And you think, no, 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 I like <laughs> yeah. Weetabix. Weetabix, because oats are like... Oats are something very different. Mm. I can see why the marketing team would think that it's a short leap. Yeah. 
But it's a, it's a, a deep it's, chasm. It's a, it's a leap, nevertheless. Uh, so that's your first two. Next one. Heart powdered graunt chars. You sure you've read that right? <laughs> Heart powdered graunt chars. Well, I just hope that they had numbers next to them. <laughs> um, well, I, th- heart, I think it's powdered heart on grot chars. Don't, I, I th- it just sounds like a different language. Uh, it's not um, heart in the sense of uh, the beating organ. Um, deer. Oh, white heart. Hmm. And graunt is, I think, the ground. So it's ground deer meat mixed with spices, raisins, and dates. So far, I love that one. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's basically minced deer meat with some nice flavouring. Yeah, I mean, that's if they've made burgers out of that, that's not my cup of tea, but, you know, if you're going back in time, you've got to take what you recognise, I think. The flavours match. Mm. Uh, Number four, Kid Reversed. <laughs> Kid reverse is that okay? Uh, that's fourteen down, is it? <laughs> what? Uh, a backwards goat. It is indeed a baby goat with its flesh turned out. Oh, good grief! Hmm. These people need television. Last one for course one: Swan with children. Hmm. I don't know what that could be. Children, is it like... I don't know. What do you even eat swan with, apart from a massive fork? You eat swan with a sauce of chopped entrails and spices. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Fine. (laughs) I guess you do. (laughs) So you've uh, you've enjoyed all of those. We'll now move on to course two. There are other options, but these ones I picked out. Uh, Course two. Jolly Ipocras. Oh, that that's a drink, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Jolly Hippo... Hippo... Hippo something, Hippo grass, something? Yeah. It is, it's a spiced wine. Yeah, but it makes... It's sort of quite it, powerful, I think. It, it's... Spicy. Is it hallucinogenic, or... <laughs> I think it's... Maybe I've read a book about... Um, that used that as a device. Hmm. Uh, peacock in hackle. Peacock in hackle. Ha- hake. Peacock and hake for a fish. Yeah, yeah, clever. Um, it is roasted peacock redressed with its plumage and tail feathers. Oh. Mm. So you can pretend. Yes. I can get behind that. Mm. Rabbit soaker. Rabbit stew? It's suckling rabbit. Baby. Hmm. Little tiny ones. That or... Presumably. Is it, you know, on the sort of... Spit roast. Oh, thing. on a spit, yeah. Mm. Uh, fruta orgio. Orgio. Oranges? Or fruta orgio. Uh, so it's uh, fritters. So we've got fried egg and flour dough, sweetened and often filled with apples or other fruit. Oh, that sounds lovely. Mm. Yeah, all right. Sign me up. And uh, 
Castles of jelly in temple wise made. Jelly castles? Jelly castles. With, with custard. <laughs> Presumably. Uh, now, not strictly dishes, but a couple of other interesting things from the first course. Uh, the very first thing on it is described thus. What did you think this was? First, a warner before the course. A warner. Mm. Uh, uh, like a like a shot of something, like a you know. <laughs> <up on them. laughs> Just a chaser to get us going. Yeah. No, yeah, it would have been trumpets sounding at the beginning of the banquet. Oh. A and warner, a yeah. warner, uh, and probably an elaborate decoration of sponge sugar, pastry, and miles of pan would have been paraded through the hall as well. Oh yeah, I know the scene. And finally. Um, although technically still the first course, but finally for us, what was this? A subtlety with writing of ballads, which as yet I have not. A subtlety, writing of ballads. You'd have a minstrel. So, I mean, yeah, so a subtlety is a, a subtlety. So that means a spectacular dessert designed to amaze the guests. So something like pastry moulded into the shape of St Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. So I feel like this kind of thing Heston Blumenthal's done. Mm. Yeah, time. with fireworks, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the writing of ballads refers to the fact that these magnificent spectacles were often accompanied uh, by verses. Uh, but in this instance, the Herald recording all of it obviously hasn't been told what the ballads are. Hence he says, mm. which as yet I have not. I, I haven't got them. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this isn't first-hand? This is just the chap who's kind of, someone's given him all the details, but they haven't given him, well, all the details. <laughs> Preview Councils also get film reviews from us, uh, one with each miniseries focusing, focusing in on a subject relevant to the podcast, so usually royals with us reviewing the film uh, in terms of its historical accuracy and entertainment value. So in uh, our most recent one of these, uh, which we call Rex Flicks, uh, we reviewed the film The Duchess, starring uh, Kira Knightley as Georgina, Duchess of Devonshire, whom we previously covered in a special episode. Yeah. So here is a clip from our discussion about the Duchess. Uh, now, in terms of the look of the film and the characters, as I said, the costume designer, Michael, Michael O'Connor, got an Oscar for his efforts, and he said he deliberately toned down some of the designs and softened the look so that it would be more attractive for modern audiences. So we talked about the excess of those wigs that Kira Knightley had to wear, but they were actually quite modest in comparison to what Georgina herself would have worn. Uh, well, yeah, because when we posted... I posted on um, Facebook or somewhere uh, that... Um, we were about to watch it, and someone said, oh, look, enjoy the wigs and everything. Mm. I was waiting for the ones that had, um, like, ships in and things. Exactly, yeah. So she would have supplemented them with ships in full sail, waxed fruit, stuffed animals, all sorts of things, really, really big. Mm. Um, he thought, perhaps you might argue quite fairly, that this would look so ridiculous to modernise that it would just completely remove us from the film. Yeah. And particularly when we're meant to see her as this great sort of leader of Regency fashion. Yeah. That if we see her with a, you know, stuffed bat in her hair, we're just going to think she's crazy. Yeah, that, yes, exactly. But it would be weird to do the equivalent of, uh, in 200 years of 60s films, saying no one's going to believe those trousers. <laughs> yeah. Stick them all in combats. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can imagine that's another one, yeah, Amanda Foreman. 
coming on and going, but but where's the ships? The ships look ridiculous. We tried it. It's stupid. I know that, but that's that's why she's fascinating. That's her whole thing. It's the most interesting photo in my book. (laughs) (laughs) But particularly when much of the film is kind of dialogue. Yeah, and the characters track. talking about things. So if you're trying to take them seriously, whilst there's a birdcage <laughs> tittering around in their hair, yeah. then it you know. My, yeah, it gives you sympathy for um uh um what's his name? Ray Fiennes' character. Yeah, because I imagine he's thinking that at all times about it. Where the hell have you got this on? And everyone's just cooing over, and he's going, "What?" But I, I yeah. Uh, but fundamentally, if he thought that an historical look was an in- ill fit for an actress, then they decided it wouldn't serve the film well to have a kind of mismatch. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably a good call. Uh, now, Privy Council has commissioned us to do bonus special episodes on a whole variety of topics, which can be accessed either by being a patron at the special episode tier or by purchasing individual episodes for £2 from uh, payhip.com forward slash rexfactorpodcast. Uh, and our latest special episode, um, and these are all like sort of two hourish episodes, mm. they're kind of bumper editions. Uh, our latest special episode is on the Great Fire of London. Uh, it's one of the most famous incidents in the history of London, which for several days in 1666, uh, City. Uh, was ablaze. And I've just remembered that we failed to mention in both that and the special episodes, extras episode, that um, the 5th of September was like a major day. Uh, in oh, the yeah. And it is the 5th of September. Oh, yeah. Today, as we record. Oh, well done us. Well done us, mentioning it after three and a half hours of recording and in the next in the episode. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So we look at how the fire started, why it spread, how they put it out, uh, appearances from Charles uh, II, James II, Samuel Pepys, and uh, various others. And in this clip, we discuss the famous diarist Samuel Pepys. Now, one of the earliest observers of the fire spread uh, is the famed diarist Samuel Pepys. Here he is. Da-da-da-da-da. Uh, and he'll play a crucial role not just in recording the fire for posterity, but also in the efforts to stop it. So uh, Pepys is 33 in 1666 and in addition to his now uh, famous diary that he's keeping he's also a member of the Royal Society uh, and he is something of a civil servant so he sits on the Navy board and served as treasurer of the Tangier Committee Mm. Uh, and he lives on Seething Lane which is about half a mile east of Pudding Lane uh, and just a few minutes walk from the Tower of London Mm. and just generally he should know better Yes. And in, in fairness to Peeps, we are going to see him in a better light than in some of our uh, recent meetings yeah. with him. Mm. Uh, the night before the fire, Peeps had been occupied by the arrival of his new closet, which he planned to show off to some friends the next day. Toilet? No, uh, uh, you know, like a wardrobe sort of closet oh, type. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not a water closet, it's just a closet closet. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. Uh, and he enjoyed a night out in Islington, um, being thus mighty merry and so home singing. Um, um, and depending on, the route he t- depending on the route he took, it's not impossible that Thomas Farriner might actually have heard him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, singing his way home, absolutely trolleyed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what woke the daughter up to go and have a, a, a candle or whatever it was she needed. Yeah, that's what distracted them. Hmm. Uh, anyway, he made it home, uh, off to bed, but then he's woken early in the hours by his maid, Jane. Um, not in a peeps way. But... 
Some of our maids sitting up late last night to get things ready against our feast today. Jane called us up about three in the morning to tell us of a great fire they saw in the city. So I rose and slipped on my nightgown and went to her window and thought it to be on the back side of Market Lane at the furthest. But being unused to such fires as followed, I thought it far enough off. Oh, and so went to bed again and to sleep. And it's half a mile off. That's hmm. scary to me. But so a little like the mayor, really, Peep's initial reaction is that it's not really anything to worry about. Just a little fire. You see mm. this. Um, and it continues when he wakes uh, the next morning, rather that later that morning at seven o'clock. Uh, so this is Sunday now, Sunday the 2nd of September. Um, he observed that the fire, not so much as it was, and further off, so to my closet to set things right after yesterday's cleaning. He's really invested quite a lot of himself into this closet. He really likes his, his cupboard, doesn't he? <laughs> How do you show off a cupboard? I mean, you invite friends around and literally just say, look at my cupboard. But imagine, Graham, I'd bought a solid gold cupboard. Hmm. Um... If you came round and I said, do you want to have a look at my wardrobe? <laughs> Even then it's not that interesting. I'm not sure I'd take a photo of it. <laughs> it's so... It's so dull. But I guess that's the thing. It's, it's, it is for us, but I guess in terms of material culture and stuff, and, you know, he's more of the middle class rather than a, a king or something. So I guess to have a nice, well-made closet would be a, like, a thing. That would be yeah. interesting because not everyone will have something. Like oh, that. I suppose we're not talking about IKEA, are we? It's going to be no. handmade and intricate, and yeah, it would be lovely. Yeah, and I suppose, ironically, if I were to say, Ali, did you know that uh, in the Museum of London they've actually got Peeps's closet? Would you like to go and see it? You'd I'd be all over it. Yeah, you'd I'd run there. We go love now. to see that closet. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about, Peeps? Have you got any more invitations? I'd be all over it. I'm sorry for my initial. Reaction there. The Privy Council. As we said at the start, you can get lots of bonus content by signing up to become a Privy Councillor on Patreon. Uh, we've been increasing our output recently, so this is what you get if you sign up. We have three tiers, uh, Privy Chamber, Special Episodes and Star Chamber. Privy Chamber level, you get the Privy Chamber with each main review episode. Tuesday Talks, where we just have a chat uh, every week. Rexflix, where we review monarch-based films on historical accuracy and entertainment. Uh, pub Quiz and uh, Q&A sessions, which we do live streams. Yeah, loads of stuff. Uh, but that's just at your entry tier. So at the special episodes tier, you get all of that, plus free access to our bonus special episodes, uh, which I say usually two hours long, uh, plus the special episodes extras episode, which is kind of like a privy chamber for the specials, and a uh, local legend podcast, where we look at a personal place that is local to a Star Chamber member. Yeah, like those. And then finally, a top level is the Star Chamber, where you get to help shape our content, voting for what special episodes and local legend podcasts we should do, uh, as well as the Star Chamber podcast, which you can watch us record live, where we go through all of the options and results from previous votes. Cool. Yes. We haven't done one of those. When was the... Do we do those monthly? Uh, one with each mini-series, so uh, we'll yeah. be doing one in a couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, so lots of lovely bonus content there if you want to hear some of it then sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash rexfactor and uh, we have various privy councillors to welcome to the vault Josh Spence Ginger Mullen Anne Soulard Kelly Orty Laura Young Carolyn Marks Jennifer P Jennifer Seto Andrew Slater Joy Itapson Heather McNeil Rach Howard Amanda Lett Timothy Bone Gemma Rutterford Jamie Wilkinson 
Elizabeth Kerr, Sabia, Sue Rossov, Lee Hofkin, Emma Martin, Amy Visser, Jennifer Grandchamp, Shannon L. McCauley, Beth Ash, and Daniel Singleton. Well, you are all extremely welcome. I recognise Jennifer's name there. <laughs> um, thank you. Arise. Take your seats. Settle in. It's going to be a ride. Now, before we were on Patreon, we were uh, on Podbean, and at that time we used to offer the bonus of a comment read out on the podcast. We don't do that anymore for Patreon, because basically we just ended up with too many. Uh, still honouring those from years past on Podbean. We're nearly there now, um, but so we've got some more to do today, and then maybe next one we do might be the last... Last of those. So first up, Ditter. Thanks so much for this podcast. I'm very late to the party and really started listening to the podcast to work out what was going on with Edward VIII. I was completely hooked and have been making my way from Alpha the Great and halfway through season two. I love the witty, entertaining and engaging way you present the information and, of course, Edgar the Peaceable was robbed. I mean, I'm beginning to think I made a mistake. My two-year-old also loves to randomly yell out, Rex Factor! Good. Good which I think is parenting cool. done right. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Price says, we have a Sunday routine of breakfast and Rex Factor, and it is the highlight of the week. Thanks oh, for a great lovely. podcast. Well, look, and if you're listening, just eat that last bit of egg, and then mm. you can watch YouTube. Uh, Catherine Pri- <laughs> Price says, we have a Sunday routine of... Oh, no, that's what I just said. <laughs> Jen Barkley says, hi, guys, love the podcast. I've been listening for about three months and have almost caught up. You've kept me company through many hours of work, housework, driving, and I think I might have slept through a couple of episodes. We'll definitely be going back and re-listening to a few. Excited to get to the York and Tudor consorts. How ruddy dare you. <laughs> uh, and finally for today, short and sweet from Kristin Prether. This podcast definitely deserves the Rex Actor. It's the best podcast of all time. Thanks for making <laughs> it fun to learn about history. Well, cheers, dudes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's all from us today. So our next episode will be the first of the Six Wives of Henry VIII, the biography episode for Catherine of Aragon, which I suspect uh, many people have been looking forward to. When are we doing that? Uh, we don't have it in the diary, but this is some... We've got space. Okay. Between then and... Between now and then. Uh, anyway, until then, see you next time. Cheerio! Cheerio!